Hello and welcome to Halfwit History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. And this is a show where we talk about the upcoming week, but a long time ago. And sometimes not so long ago. Yeah, and this time we got Kylie's week. Woo! What are you talking about, Kylie? I, so, okay, so this is for the week of January 3rd through January 9th. Um, so it is the first episode of 2022. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Goodbye, 2021. You were no fun. Mm. <laughs> ah, ha, ha, ha. Christ, you rehearsed that, didn't you? <laughs> I did not actually. Wow! I'm quite, I I know it's not proud the of first, you. The first word here is for the first episode of the new year. I want to cover a topic I've been wanting to do since we started this podcast. Cool. So let's read it. Yeah. And I've actually mentioned this uh, topic a couple of times already, which is why when you saw me printing, you were like, why does that name look familiar? I've seen this name a few times. (laughs) Yes, because I have brought it up a couple of different times. Okay, so on January 5th, 1895, French Captain Alfred Dreyfus was convicted of treason and publicly stripped of his rank. Frequently referred to as the Dreyfus Affair, this totally backfired and became one of the most infamous events in French history. Ooh, that says a lot because there's a few events in French history (laughs) that are fairly infamous. Well, yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So first, a little bit of background. Alfred Dreyfus was born in 1859 in the Alsace region of France. He was the youngest of nine children born to Raphael and Jeanette Dreyfus. Raphael was a prosperous, self-made Jewish textile manufacturer who had actually started out as like a peddler. So like straight up just like poor peddler. Okay. Um, After the annexation of Alsace-Lorraine by Germany at the end of the Franco-Prussian War, the Dreyfus family moved to Paris, and young Alfred decided that he wanted to pursue a career in the military. Mm -hmm. In October 1877, he enrolled in the elite École Polytechnique military school in Paris, and after graduation, he was commissioned as a sub-lieutenant in the French army. From 1880 to 1882, he attended the artillery school at Fontainebleau, after which he rose through the ranks to captain. In April of 1891, Alfred married 20-year-old Lucy Eugene Hadamard uh, before learning that he had actually already been accepted into the École Supérieure de Guerre, which was, like, known as the War College. So think, like, West Point, but France. (laughs) And being married at this point in time was a problem? Uh, No, but it was kind of like... Oh, look, we're married. Oh, look, now I have to go to school and leave you behind? Ah. So a little bit, but like not like a problem. Just, oh, hey, uh, no honeymoon. We're, I'm just leaving, apparently. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Got, bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after he graduated ninth in his class, which is really good, it was determined that he could have actually done better because there was an anti-Semitic examiner on his, like, examination board. So this examiner, General Bonfond... <laughs> sorry. What a name. I haven't said it out loud yet, and then I said it, and I had Bonfond. to laugh. Bonfond. <laughs> um, felt that, quote, Jews were not desired on the staff, and gave Alfred poor marks for Cote d'Amour, which is French slang for being attractive or being likable. So be... Basically, he gave him bad marks because he was Jewish, because he didn't like the way the Jewish features looked. Like, But it's called attractive? It's slang. So yeah, basically, they decided that he was not desirable enough, essentially, for B. 
being on military staff. Or too desirable. We don't really know what the slang is saying. I mean, so. maybe. <laughs> well, no, he he rated him low on attractiveness. Therefore, like... oh. Yeah, no, he gave him very low marks on this attractive the, quality. The way you said it earlier was he gave him very low marks for being what they would call this word, which means attractive. Oh, no. So I thought they okay. were like, get out of here, pretty boy. <laughs> if only. No, no, no. no. He, they gave him low marks in the category that was like likableness, attractiveness, that right. kind of. Like, do you fit into this like no, ideal terrible. of a military whatever? Yeah. And they were like, mm-mm. I was thinking that you said that he was like this super pretty boy. And they're like, we can't oh, have no, that. No, if you look up a picture of him, he's really not that attractive. Alpha Dreyfus, pretty boy extraordinaire. <laughs> if only. He might might have had an easier life. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so Bonfon did not like him. And his assessment. <laughs> I can't hear Bonfon. Without the oh, <laughs> it's terrible. But I hate you. You're the worst. If you didn't laugh at it the first time, I would have never found something funny to laugh about. I just, I hadn't said it out loud, and as soon as I did, I was like, oh no. Yep. All right. Anyway, so wait, so tell me a little bit more about bonbons. <laughs> well, <laughs> so his assessment not only lowered Alfred's grade, but he did the same thing to the other Jewish candidate, Lieutenant Picard. Learning of this injustice, the two officers lodged a protest with the director of the school, who was named General Lebelin de Dion, who expressed his regret for what had occurred, but said that he was powerless to take any steps in the matter. I mean, what year was this? 18... Yeah, that's all you gotta say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and unfortunately, this followed Alfred throughout his military career with an assessment from 1893-1894, acknowledging his high intelligence but expressing concerns for aspects of his personality, a.k.a. he wasn't Christian. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and it was a very short-lived military career, unfortunately. In 1894, a torn-up handwritten note was found by a French housekeeper in a waste basket at the German embassy. This note described a minor French military secret and had obviously been written by a spy in the French military. This discovery made the French Army's counterintelligence section, led by a Lieutenant Colonel Jean Sondaire, aware that information regarding new artillery parts was being passed to um, the German military attaché in Paris, likely from a highly placed spy who was probably on the general staff. Ooh. Yeah, womp Espionage. Mm-hmm. So suspicion quickly fell upon poor Alfred Dreyfus who was arrested for treason on October 15th, 1894. Womp womp. Yep, not great. He was... Uh, Jacques. <laughs> We're going to get there. Hold oh, up. Oh, okay. Hold up. <laughs> get there. Anyway, so he was convicted in a secret court-martial on January 5th of 1895, publicly stripped of his army rank and sentenced to life imprisonment on Devil's Island in French Guiana. Hey, we talked about that. Yes. We had an episode on Devil's Island. Yes. There we go. Maybe that's where I'm clicking the name from. Yes. Um, Following French military custom of the time, Alfred was formally degraded by having the rank insignia, buttons, and the braid cut from his uniform. And his sword broken. Rude. Like right in front of him. All in the courtyard of the Ecole Militaire before silent ranks of soldiers while just crowds of people shouted abuse at him from behind like the walls and the... Um, of the like courtyard. Railings yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. 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 Secret court martial 
publicly. Public humiliation yeah. afterwards, yeah. So poor Alfred was sent off to Devil's Island, which was not a nice place to be sent to. Um, it sounds lovely. Yes, Devil's Island sounds great. Definitely where we want to go on our honeymoon, right? Okay. It's actually a tourist destination now, so sort of, but no. Um, so Devil's Island, if you haven't listened to our previous episode, had previously been used as a penal colony for convicts, complete with a labor camp. Mm-hmm. So Devil's Island had developed a reputation for harshness and brutality, where prisoner-on-prisoner violence was common and tropical diseases ran rampant. So fun fact, and by that me, I mean the opposite of a fun fact. You're normally pretty good at those. Rude. <laughs> in 1854, France passed a new law of forced residency that required convicts to stay in French Guiana after completion of the sentence for a time equal to their forced labor time. Well, that's not fair. And, to make things worse, if the length of the original sentence exceeded eight years, they were forced to stay as residents for the remainder of their lives. That's a very low number of years to get essentially sentenced to life for. Uh-huh. Imagine having, like, been convicted of, like, something, I mean, not trivial, but, like, probably not bearing a life sentence when you're, like, 30. And now you're and stuck there for now life. you have to live there forever. Yep. That's awful. Yep. But anyway, back to the Dreyfus Affair. So in August of 1896, the new chief of French military intelligence, Lieutenant Colonel George Picard, not Picard, Picard. Okay. There's an R. Okay. I'm going to get lost really fast. But... Oh, yeah, it's fine. Uh, reported to his superiors that he had found evidence to the effect that the real traitor was actually a man named Major Ferdinand Walson Esterhazy. That's... That's a name, right? French people have fun names. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right, but I like saying Esterhazy. <laughs> So it's fun. Sounds like it's making fun of an old woman. Oh, no. (laughs) It's less funny now. (laughs) Esther, you're so hazy today. (laughs) Oh, now I'm just going to picture an old lady when I talk about this dude. Old French lady from the 1800s. Esther, you're so hazy. Blaze it. (laughs) Oh, no. So, So the military administration did not like being told that they had probably convicted the wrong person of treason and made the decision to protect Esther Hazy and ensure that the original verdict against Alfred would not be overturned. Wild. Yeah, not surprised. Uh, Major Hubert Joseph Henry went so far as to forge documents that made it seem as if Dreyfus was, like, legitimately guilty. And then they sent Picard off to command a light infantry regiment based in Seuss, Tunisia. So they sent him off to Africa. (laughs) You go away. Yeah. But like many secrets, this information didn't stay secret for long. And when reports of an army cover-up and Dreyfus's possible innocence were leaked to the press, a heated debate ensued about anti-Semitism and France's identity as a Catholic nation or as a republic founded on equal rights for all citizens. This discussion was heavily spurred by Emile Zola's open letter, J'accuse. Hey! Yeah, I told you we'd get there. And this accused the highest levels of the French army of obstruction of justice and anti-Semitism by having wrongfully convicted Alfred Dreyfus to life imprisonment on Devil's Island. The ramifications of the whole thing continued for many years. And for example, on the 100th anniversary of uh, Zola's article, France's Roman Catholic daily paper, La Croix, apologized for its anti-Semitic editorials during the Dreyfus affair. 
like in their paper, they legitimately just slandered Jewish people Ooh. just openly and unapologetically. And they didn't apologize for a hundred years. Yeah. So it's kind of not mean, a great look. There's quite a bit of that I that mean, went around. Yeah. I mean, it's for in a lot of places. So, yeah. So Zola was actually brought to trial for libel for publishing J'accuse and was convicted two weeks later. He was sentenced to jail and was removed from the Legion of Honor. So to avoid going to jail, Zola fled to England and stayed there for a little over a year. And back in France, Esther Hazy was found not guilty by yet another secret court-martial. Weird. I know. And then he also fled to England, where he shaved off his mustache because apparently that was his best effort at a disguise. Well, I mean, a lot of people's best effort at a disguise is adding a mustache, so... True, and it is 1898, so like, or 1890-something. So... I mean, I guess if you're if you're like mustache is your identifying feature, yeah, getting rid of it would be pretty good, I guess. Uh-huh. I was just being mean because he's a bad guy. Uh-huh. Anyway, so apparently in 1898, he had even confessed to having written the note to a reporter for The Observer, but since he had fled France, there really wasn't anything that they could do. He was like basically outside their jurisdiction at that point. Yeah. The reporter published the interview of his confession and wrote a, like, editorial column accusing the French military of anti-Semitism, again, and calling for a retrial for Alfred. This coincided with a very passionate campaign in France from Alfred's supporters, which did successfully result in a retrial for him. Oh, and uh, did I mention that the blatant forgeries by Major Henry were discovered and publicly admitted to in August of 1898? Oh, yeah. got him. This caused the government to refer Alfred's original court-martial to the Supreme Court for review the following month over the objections of the general staff. So, like, you know, the guys who had decided that Esther Hazy was more important than Alfred. Right, right. So right. all those people were like, no, you can't accuse this guy. <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, we don't want the fact that we literally covered this up to get out. Eight months later, on June 3rd, 1899, the Supreme Court annulled the original verdict and ordered a new military court-martial. Still, those people who fully believed that Alfred was guilty wouldn't give up, despite, like, the person who had forged the documents literally having been like, yeah, I forged those. He was found guilty again mm -hmm. on September 8th, 1899. Good. This is exactly yeah. how I expected yeah, this to go. Much, yeah, right? Yeah. So he replied for a retrial, but the government countered by offering him a pardon rather than exonerating him. This would allow him to go free, provided that he admit to, n to being guilty, and it allowed the military to save face with the public, which is really what they wanted. Although he was clearly not guilty, he chose to accept the pardon in order to avoid returning to Devil's Island, likely for the rest of his life at that point. Well, so, yeah. Like, I would have taken the pardon, too. <laughs> yep, sure, whatever, I'm guilty. Get me out of yeah. here. But it did mean that, like, legally, he was still guilty of treason. Yeah, he was still, uh, yeah. yeah. Which sucks. So about this turn of events, Alfred said... Does it suck? I mean... Who who really cares about what governments think of you? I mean, <laughs> Especially yes, Especially when like, they're corrupt. He, he literally... He had wanted to be a military man since childhood. So I think having had that institute so clearly turn against him was probably, like, heartbreaking. Yeah, but, like, that's every military. 
Well, I mean, <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> that, that's every military. Uh, Everyone who's like, man, I want to do good and go to the military. Guess what? Military doesn't want to do good. Doesn't matter what country you're from. There is very much a tendency of just uh, blatant destruction. And anyway, yep. <clears throat> we're getting off topic. So about this turn of events being pardoned and not exonerated, Alfred said, quote, the government of the Republic has given me back my freedom. It is nothing for me without my honor. So clearly, like, he felt this hard. Mm-hmm. That, like, he may be free, but his name wasn't, essentially. Right. Yeah. So not long after this, and despite Emil Zola's previous conviction, an amnesty bill was passed, and it covered, quote, all criminal acts or misdemeanors related to the Dreyfus affair or that had been included in a prosecution for one of these acts. So basically, it meant that Zola was no longer in trouble. Right. Um, and it meant that Picard could come back from his exile, essentially, yep. in Africa. <laughs> um, but it also meant that those who had concocted evidence against Dreyfus were also, were also off the hook. Yep. So that's not the best. <laughs> They're like, well, <clears throat> we can't do it right this way. We can't do it right that way. We can't make this guy happy. We can't make those guys happy. Let's pretend it never happened. Yeah, exactly. They were just like, um, we're just going to sweep it all under the rug and like whistle as we walk away. <clears throat> so in 1904, a retrial was granted. And in July of 1906, a civilian court of appeals cleared Dreyfus and reversed all previous convictions. The parliament passed a bill reinstating Dreyfus into the army. And on July 22nd, he was formally reinstated to the military with a promotion to the rank of major and was decorated as a Knight of the Legion of Honor. Well, that's nice. Yeah. um, And the Legion of Honor is the highest French order of merit, both for military and civilians. And then it has a couple of ranks within it. Right. Um, The army, though, didn't publicly declare Dreyfus innocent until 1995. Wow. So they held that grudge for a long time. Yeah, dude was dead by then. Oh, yeah, definitely. So Alfred's time on Devil's Island had taken a pretty hard toll on his health, and he retired to the Army Reserves in 1907 at the age of 48. Unfortunately, there were still people who thought that he really was a traitor, despite the clear evidence to the contrary. And he was actually shot in the arm during an attempted assassination while he was attending a ceremony to transfer the ashes of Emile Zola to the Pantheon in 1908. So, like... The one person who had, like, staunchly defended him to the public had died, and he was attending this, like, memorial service thing, and he uh, someone tried to, tried to assassinate him. Well, that's sad. Yeah, that's rude. That's mean. I don't like, like that's that. Just mean. Bad history. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just as, like, a f- this is actually a fun, f- fun side fact. Oh, a fun, fun fact? Emile Zola's uh, remains were uh, interred in a crypt with Victor Hugo and uh, Alexandre Dumas. So, like, the other two great French writers. Yeah, I was like, I recognize those names, but I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the other two, like, great French writers of the time, he got interred with them, which well, I was that's like, cool. that's nice. So, Alfred, um, however, was forever loyal to his country and came out of retirement and re-entered the army as a major of the artillery at the outbreak of World War One. So, even though he was still guilty, he still felt strongly enough that he was like, I'm going to do my part for this country that clearly showed it hates me. I mean, good for people like him, but also... <clears throat> I'm I, too petty to do that. But <laughs> n- not, not even that. It's like, I feel sad for them. Yeah. It's, De- it's, it's the same yes. way that I would feel sad for somebody returning to an abusive relationship. Yes, it's very much like, that's an impressive step you're taking, 
but... But also you're dumb because they don't love you. Yeah, it's... Yeah. I mean, this is quite literally an abusive relationship. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. That's not a good thing. Well, um, that's like your nervous laugh, Kylie. I think if someone's listened to all of our episodes up until now, they understand when you nervous laugh versus laugh laugh. I have a very distinctive nervous laugh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you can just hear the pain in it. I can just hear the waveform because I edit all these. <laughs> you can just recognize my nervous laugh versus my real laugh in waveform. Yep. <laughs> I love it. All right. So... Serving throughout World War I, he was ultimately promoted to the rank of lieutenant colonel. He mostly stayed behind the lines on the Western Front, but he did perform a little bit of, like, frontline duties for which he was promoted from knight in the Legion of Honor to an officer in the Legion of Honor. So, Officer sounds so much lesser than knight. Yeah. I mean, the final, <laughs> the final form is commander. I mean, well, which, that, like, that, that has, like, a lot of authority good, right? to it. Yeah. Officer feels lesser than knight, though. Officer You're right. Officer feels I do lesser fully, than knight. Yeah. Huh. If someone was like, you're not a knight anymore, I'd be like, bull. No, I want to still be a knight. I am still a knight. I mean, I'm still waiting for someone to send me a lady ship to Sea Island or whatever it was called. Sea Land. Sea Land, yeah. Yeah. Principality of Sea Land. I'm waiting. I want to be lady now Kylie Swenson instead of Kylie Bickford. So, Uh uh just saying. So after this, he he re-retired from the military and I'm making an assumption, but I hope that he lived the rest of his life pretty peacefully and without conflict. Good. Um, Alfred Dreyfus, Dreyfus passed away on July 12th, 1935, at the age of 75, exactly 29 years after he was exonerated. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so two days later, his funeral procession passed the Place de la Concorde and through the ranks of troops assembled for Bastille Day. Um, because Bastille Day is July 14th, so he conveniently died right in time for his funeral to be part of Bastille Day. So, like, good job. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, he was interred in the Cimetière de Montparnasse um, in Paris, and a statue of Alfred Dreyfus holding his broken sword, you know, the one that they, like, broke when they publicly stripped him of his rank, is located at the Boulevard Raspail near the metro station, and there's another duplicate statue that stands in the courtyard of the Museum of Jewish Art and History in Paris. So he's being recognized in a couple of places. That's cool. Yeah. And as part of my ongoing efforts to get everyone interested in archives... Oh, boy. (laughs) His grandchildren donated over 3,000 documents to the Museum of Jewish Art and History, including personal letters, photographs from the trial which is kind of cool. That's interesting. Um, Legal documents, his writings from his time in prison, uh, personal family photographs, and his officer stripes that were the ones that were ripped off when he was convicted. Interesting that he was able to keep those. Yeah. I feel like those would have been confiscated. I don't don't know. I mean, obviously they weren't, but it's just interesting that that is not the way that that went down. No, you know what? I bet, I'm willing to bet that it's like a... We've ripped them off you. Now you have to take them and go and like carry your shame, essentially. Maybe. I feel like that feels very Visceral. French dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's also a museum dedicated to the Dreyfus Affair in Madan in the northwestern suburbs of Paris. So if anyone is interested in that, it was opened by um, then French President Emmanuel Macron in October 2021. Um, and he said that nothing could repair the humiliations and injustices Dreyfus had suffered and, quote, let us not aggravate it by forgetting, deepening, or repeating them. So basically, don't mess up again, guys. Uh-huh. 
Um, And that is the story of Alfred Dreyfus and the affair that marked the start of a new phase in the history of the Third Republic, a phase in which a series of radical-led governments pursued an anti-clerical policy that culminated in the formal separation of church and state in 1905 in in France. Oh, interesting that that's how that all boiled down. Yeah, so those, like, increasing antagonistic elements between, like, the right and the left really forced individuals to choose sides, essentially, which made, like, a huge lasting impression on the French as a nation and, like, their national ideals. I kind of wish somewhere else would figure out that, that thing better, too. No but idea where you're what you're talking about anyway. on this the day we're recording January sixth. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Anyway, that's that. Yep, that's it. That's all awesome. I have to say. <laughs> that was very interesting, especially because I only slightly knew names, but it was enough to be like, wait, I've heard that name. Wait, I've heard this story. <laughs> I know. I was very I impressed know- when you looked at it and went, "Hey, wait." That name looks familiar, and I was like, wait. <laughs> and then something in my sub- subconscious was like, Jacques, and you were like, well, hold on a second there. I think that also comes from... Um, Other stuff, I yeah. know, but still. Yeah, but like that's the basis of it. So when you said that, I was like, wait. <laughs> hold on, don't skip ahead. <laughs> don't get ahead of me, bud. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah. Awesome. On to call to action. Mm-hmm. Yes. I. Mm-hmm. It's really weird, but I always forget which what comes first, the fun facts or the call to action. It just always like skips my brain. Yeah. It also doesn't help that, some t- that these days we have to try the intro more than once. <laughs> That's mean of you to out me this way, Jacques. <laughs> I mean, yes, I'm guilty of that, though. I will fully admit it. Uh-huh. But I'm just going to get acquitted by secret court martial, so it's fine. <laughs> Anyways, you can find us on halfwitpodcast.com. That's where we're throwing all of our podcast-related stuff. There is merch there. There is link to ways to support us and all that stuff. Uh, if you want to support us, we have a ko-fi at ko-fi.com forward slash History. There's nothing really set up there right now, just a tip jar. But now that I'm all caught up with failed crits, I, me and Kylie are working on some stuff to maybe catch Halfwit History up in the same way that we've done failed crits. Yeah, we have some some ideas for like special content and stuff percolating. Percolating. So. Keep your ears yeah. peeled. We're hopefully going to get the ball rolling soon. So. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thank you to the Fishermen for the use of our theme song, Another Day. You can find a link to their SoundCloud down in our show notes. Is it fun fact time? It is fun fact time, and I've got one. Yeah. My fun fact is on January 8th of 1806, Lewis and Clark find a skeleton of a 105-foot blue whale while in Oregon. What is it doing in Oregon? Well, it is a coastal state. Oh, okay. Yeah, my my geography of France is great. My geography of the U.S. is poor. <laughs> but still, kind of cool that they yeah, found a, a big old skeleton like that. 105 foot is uh, a, not anything to shy away from. That's a hefty skeleton, especially when, like, sea knowledge was not that prolific, and you're just looking at a big old... That's true. Yeah. That was probably quite the find for them back then. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, what is your fun fact? All right. So... My fun fact is that on also January 8th, but of 1835, the U.S. national debt hits zero for the first and only time in history. Wow. Womp womp. Never again. 
Can I do another fun fact? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Okay, real quick. Um, this is purely for me. On January 5th of 1887, the first U.S. school of librarianship opened at Columbia University. Oh, nice. Not my alma mater, but that is what I studied. There I you am go. a librarian. Uh, okay, mummy. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to get it. All right, uh-huh. cool. Woo. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening. We hope you had a good time laughing and learning along with us. So we will see you next time. And as always, I've been your halfwit. And I'm your historian. And we hope you listen next time. Where you can live, laugh, and learn with us. Oh, no. (laughs) I don't like that. (laughs) You are out of luck, my good dude. (laughs)